Second Kings, Second Kings, uh, chapter 16. Mike, the focus uh, narrows back down to the south now. The southern kingdom is Judah. Help me out. What's the northern kingdom called? Israel, thank you. <laughs> Not really a trick question, but uh, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And uh, tonight here uh, in this chapter, it's really um, uh, sin uh, leading up to more sin. Brother Mike, compromise that leads to more compromise, no doubt. Uh, you have noticed uh, that if you have made a decision to compromise in some area, uh, very often that leads to more compromise. Uh, no doubt we've, we've seen churches that have compromised in certain areas, uh, and that has led to greater compromise uh, in other areas. Uh, one of the uh, issues that, that we're seeing, and we were talking at dinner table tonight, um, more and more churches, Brother Art, that you thought would never move off the importance of the King James Bible. They, they are compromising in that area. Listen, I can promise you, you start compromising on the Word of God, there's going to be all sorts of other compromises that, that come with that. That's, it's not okay. Uh, we have one translation that is an accurate translation of the inspired and preserved words of God in English. And I don't know about you, but English is my language. I struggle in, in every other language. Uh, some of us here speak more than one language pretty well, actually. I don't. I'm thankful for English, and so I'm thankful for uh, our King James Bible. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. This church never compromise um, on the Bible text. Um, of course, many other languages have accurate translations that are made the same way as our King James Bible. We're, we're, we're glad for those, too. So we see here tonight, Ahaz, uh, he compromises, and his compromise leads to other compromise. Um, he's going to compromise, I think we could say tonight, politically, and that, that which is in part sort of a, a political and spiritual compromise, which leads to a much greater uh, spiritual compromise. Um, we'll see that tonight. So uh, we'll be here in um, 2 Kings 16 tonight. Now, uh, if I told you, and, and I think you know this, that there is a parallel passage that we, we could and will, in fact, look at to get some additional details regarding the same account that we see here in this chapter tonight. Uh, if I reminded you, hey, there's a parallel passage uh, elsewhere in the Old Testament, would you have a guess as to which book that might be? Sorry? Second Chronicles. Yeah, that'd be a good guess. That'd be a very good guess. Yeah, and sure, sure enough, it is. And remember, Second Chronicles um, focuses relatively more on and gives relatively more details regarding the southern kingdom after, after the split into two. And so, sure enough, we'll, we'll look there tonight. And if you want to just kind of mark, mark that place, uh, we'll look at Second Chronicles chapter 28 a couple of times. Uh, tonight, we plan to flip there and, and, and pick up some additional details that we kind of layer on to what we see here in Second Kings 16 tonight. I'm going to pray, and then I think we should, we should get busy. We should jump in here. Brother Ray, does that sound right? Thank you, sir. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, uh, for our Bibles. Thank you, Father, for the privilege to hold your words uh, accurately translated uh, in English uh, in our hands Lord, help us to never forget what an amazing, wonderful privilege that is. Lord, give us hearts to never compromise uh, on our Bibles, to know why this Bible and 
uh, Lord, just to refuse to compromise in, in this area. Fathers, we look tonight uh, at uh, the story of compromise in a, in a king's life. I pray that uh, you just use um, this historical account tonight to, uh, to sear into our hearts, to underscore in our minds the danger uh, of compromising in, in any area. Father, just help us to get a hold of that thought uh, again tonight. Lord, we understand tonight we compromise spiritually. We're, uh, we're compromising uh, the things of our God, the things that, that you have given us and called us to. Lord, help us not to lose sight of that. Father, tonight I need your help. I ask you for it. I pray you help each of us tonight, Lord, just to bow our hearts before you now, to, to have hearts to receive your words. Uh, Lord, to uh, desire that you would work in each of our hearts tonight just exactly as you desire. Lord, that we respond the way you lead tonight. Uh, help me, Father, to be led of you tonight. Lord, pray that um, you fill us with your spirit, fill this place with your presence, and that you'd work here as only you can tonight. Father, please, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Where are we? Second Kings chapter what? 16. Your handout says 15, but I promise that's my fault. Uh, I, I take responsibility for that. Second Kings 16, uh, verse 1, Ahaz. In the 17th year... Uh, of Petka, you remember him from last, last week, the son of Ramalia, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. So uh, as I said, we're, we're in the south, we're, we're down in Judah, have a new king here, uh, Ahaz. Uh, 20 years old was Ahaz when he began to reign, quite young. Uh, he reigned for 16 years um, in Jerusalem, so uh, from roughly age 20 to roughly age uh, 36. Uh, he reigns in Jerusalem, of course, capital of Judah. Uh, someone remind me, please, uh, in the north capital, well, the city that was serving as capital of Israel was what? Samaria. Okay, good. Uh, how did he do? We know that in the north there were no good kings. In the south there were some. Middle of verse 20 says regarding uh, Ahaz and did, what's the next word? And did not. Uh, verse 2, middle of verse 2, and did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord uh, Jehovah, his God, like David, his father. Uh, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Uh, let's stop there for one second. Kings of Israel had just uh, one after another set a terrible example, uh, one after another. I mean, there was just, there, there were no reformers really in the north. They were, they were all just given over, Mike, to sin, all kinds of idolatry, and uh, just one after the other. It didn't have to be the case, of course. It shouldn't have been the case. Uh, they were increasingly being warned about the consequences of, uh, of their sin, uh, consequences they would experience from the Lord. But of course, there was the potential consequence that people throughout the land would, would take up their example of, of sin and idolatry and other forms of sin. And, and, and sure enough, uh, here's a man who, who you know, seems to look around and, and, and sees what's going on in the north and says, well, you know, maybe, maybe, there's, some, maybe there's some benefit for, for us too. He did not that which was right uh, in the sight of the Lord. Uh, verse 3, he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, the kings to the north, we have a specific example here of the sin, uh, and no doubt this is borrowed from Israel to the north, yea, uh, and made his son, Second uh, Chronicles says children, made his son to pass through uh, the fire according to the abominations 
uh, of the heathen uh, whom the Lord cast out from before uh, the children of Israel. So uh, you probably already know, but I'll remind us tonight, this, this no doubt is a reference to uh, the practice of, of causing children to pass through fire uh, as a sacrifice, as pagan sacrifice uh, to, to Moloch or to an idol who's sometimes called uh, Moloch at least, uh, refers to that terrible, uh, horrible practice of, of, of child sacrifice, uh, children being sacrificed uh, to uh, Moloch, uh, seems to be something that was happening both in the north and in the south, uh, at least at times. And it seems to be something that Mike was going on for, for a while. Um, won't you turn back to Leviticus 18? Don't, don't lose your place here. Uh, but, but turn back to Leviticus 18 real fast, if you would, please. Um, all the way back uh, there, Leviticus 18, so I, I forgot to calculate how many years that this would likely be, but there's a good number of years between Leviticus and, and 2 Kings 16. Uh, Leviticus 18, verse 21, are, are you there? Uh, are you there? Sorry, is everybody there? <laughs> Brother Ray, you're there, right? All right. Leviticus 18, verse 21, Bible says, Thou shalt not let any of the seed do what? What does it say, Zach? Pass through the, the fire to Moloch, neither shalt thou profane the name of the Lord, uh, excuse me, the name of thy God. The Lord says through, who, who wrote down, who penned down the, the book of Leviticus? Moses did. Yeah, don't, don't accept any other answer, please. Uh, profane the name of the Lord thy God. And then the Lord says, I am the Lord. That, that's the reason. Don't do this. Uh, I am the Lord. That's my authority to uh, command you uh, not to let your children be sacrificed uh, uh, by fire to, to Moloch. Uh, neither profane the name of the Lord thy God in, in any way. Just don't do that. Uh, we saw Sunday morning, uh, Paul said that he wrote to the church members at Corinth under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and God the Father. Well, the Lord speaks forth under the same authority. He is the Lord. Uh, he, he has perfect, uh, absolute uh, authority. Come back to 2 Kings, if you would, please. And um, turn ahead to 2 Kings 17. So uh, we're, we're, we're focusing tonight on 2 Kings 16, but turn ahead to 2 Kings uh, 17, and, and look with me in verse uh, 16 here. Uh, we see the Assyrian captivity uh, is, um, pick your word, accomplished, performed uh, by the Lord uh, in part because of this specific sin. Uh, 2 Kings 17, 16. So next chapter, we see the, the Assyrian captivity is, is being uh, carried out. There, verse 16 says, they, they, and they left all the commandments of the Lord their God. You compromise in one area, pretty soon you're compromising in every area. They left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made them molten images, even two calves, and made a grove, place of idolatry, uh, and worshipped all the host of heaven. Worshipping the stars seemed to be the idea. They served Baal. We know that. Verse 17, and they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire, uh, no doubt, as part of their worship of, of Moloch, and used divination and enchantments, witchcraft, sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him uh, to anger. Listen, again, compromise in one area, Brother Ray. It can lead to the, uh, compromise in, in many areas. And, and listen, no doubt... Uh, Ahaz did not begin his compromise, Brother Mike, by sacrificing his children to an idol. 
uh, by fire. I think you, you don't begin you don't begin compromising there. No doubt there were a number of compromises made along the way, and we'll we'll see more of those tonight. Just just mounting up to uh, th this kind of tragic uh, compromise. Uh, later on, we won't, won't turn there tonight for the sake of time, but later on, 2 Kings 23, you see uh, Josiah uh, stopping this practice in the south. Um, he, he caused this uh, to be stopped. Pray, praise God for that. Uh, that. That was a reform, certainly, that uh, was uh, ne very needful indeed. Come back to our, come back to our verse, please. Verse 3, made a son pass through the fire. Um, verse 4, and uh, he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places uh, and on the hills and under every green tree. So just um, his, his reign, his rule, uh, it was just absolutely steeped and saturated in idolatry uh, every which way. By the way, I'll just remind you quickly tonight, I don't want to dwell on this, but the only place we see bodies being burned intentionally as scripture is part of false worship, part of uh, idolatrous worship. Just keep that in mind. Uh, you know, people ask questions sometimes, should we do this, should we do that? It's time to bury someone. I just, I just make this observation. This is how I, I personally make this decision. Only time I see bodies being burned in scripture, it's, it's, it's part of, of false worship. And I know uh, people today who would cremate uh, someone, that, that would not typically at least be their motivation to choose cremation over another form of, uh, of burial, but um, obviously that, that would not be the motivation of most people. There's cost issues and so forth, but I just think, Brother Ray, as, as Christians and, and biblicists, people who care about the word of God, we, we do well to consider that observation and application it may have for us today. Uh, Ahaz, compromise, compromise, compromise. Uh, he's been brought to a point in, in his compromise where sacrificing his own children by fire uh, to an idol. Now, if you would, turn over to 2 Chronicles uh, 28. I want to look at the first five verses there. Gives us uh, basically the same, but a little bit more. So this is parallel passage, Second Chronicles uh, 28. So again, let's, let's just be reminded: First, Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles, basically parallel, uh, basically parallel accounts. Second Chronicles 28. Are you there? Everybody there? Yes, Pastor. Okay. Second Chronicles 28, verse one. Let's just see. We'll read the first five verses. Ahab was Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. Sounds right. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. Yep, we just saw that. Uh, but he did not that which is right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. Just exactly what we just read. Uh, why? How, how is his how is his sin defined? For he walked. Uh, in the ways of the kings of Israel, made also molten, Im molten images uh, for Balaam, Baal or Balaam. Uh, moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom uh, and burnt his children. So uh, back in 2 Kings, it says son, uh, singular. Here it says children. Some will say, oh, that's an inconsistency. No, 2 Kings is referring to one son. Uh, 2 Chronicles is adding a little bit of detail. Uh, there happened to be more than one son, in fact. It's, it's children is probably the idea. Children here could be a reference to one, but probably is, in fact, a literal reference to more than one. Burnt them in the fire after the abominations 
uh, of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Verse 4 here says, He sacrificed also and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills uh, in under every green tree. Now I want you to see uh, verse 5. Uh, we're going to see here tonight back in 2 Kings 16, uh, Lord had enough of this, Brother Ray, and, you know, the Lord will let his people go so far, uh, he'll give them so much room to repent before he comes in and uh, tries to effect some repentance, right, through uh, chastening. So we're going to see uh, tonight that the Lord is, is going to, to call forth, a, not Assyria, but Syria uh, and Israel. Mike, they, they form a confederacy. They, they come together. Uh, and, and they, they're going to attack Judah. Uh, they have their reasons for doing that, but the Lord's reason for allowing that uh, is seen here in verse 5 in 2 Chronicles 28. Verse 5 says, Wherefore uh, the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria, uh, and they smote him and carried away a great multitude of them captives. Uh, verse 5 begins with the word wherefore. We understand it as therefore, right? What's he saying? He's saying, well, because of all this sin, the Lord, his God, delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. Not just that the Lord allowed that. Seems, seems Brother Ray, to me that the Lord authored this uh, event in history as a uh, chastening uh, moment in history. This, this is God's plan. How does the Lord do that? Well, he's, he's able to orchestrate history uh, as he desires to. He, he's sovereign. Uh, does he actively orchestrate every uh, point on the timeline in history, everywhere in his creation? We might debate that, but Mike, I would have to say here at this point, verse 5, this is God actively choosing to step into history to orchestrate uh, sovereignly the, the correction uh, of the king of, of Judah uh, at the hand of the king of Syria, who smote him, carried away a great multitude of them captives, Judah to Syria, we'll see it's Damascus, their capital, brought them to Damascus, there it is, uh, and he also was delivered in the hand of king of Israel who smote him uh, with great slaughter. So Israel and Syria, Damascus being the capital of Syria, come together, join together, they, uh, they, they fight against uh, the people of Judah. They had their reasons, but Lord's reason was correction. Uh, Zach, is that a loving thing for God to allow or is it something else? Why is it loving? By the way, was God angry? He has wrath at sin, sure, uh, he, but it's a, it's a perfect anger that's at, at sin. Why is it loving? Why is it a loving anger? <laughs> he's trying to correct his people, right? He's let them go a certain, to, to a certain point. He says, yeah, I, this Lord knows uh, what it might take to correct uh, any degree of, of correction at this point. He knows how hard of a spank uh, it might take. By the way, if, if God uh, chastens some people and they refuse to be corrected, is that a failure on God's part, church? It's not a failure on God's part. Oh, God should have known that wasn't going to work. Well, no, God, God knows what is going to be accomplished by his actions always. Uh, if people respond, refuse to respond to God's correction, that's, that's their failure, not God's failure. Amen? The Lord knew 
the Lord knew. Brother Ray, he, why would he allow, why would he effect some correction, some, some chastening, even if he foreknew that people would not respond to that with repentance? Why, why might he do that? Uh, Rich, do you have any thoughts? Why, why God might correct, spank someone even though he knows they're not going to be corrected by it? Any thoughts? Gary, you have a thought. Yeah, they, that's what I'm thinking, basic idea. He, want, he wants them to see there's going to be a consequence. You choose whether or not to respond to it with repentance. But yeah, you, you can count on the Lord stepping in at some point uh, with a firm and loving but, but firm uh, a bit of correction. Sure enough, you, you see uh, that here. Now come back to 2 Kings 16, please. Uh, 2 Kings 16. Um, this is our passage, right? 2 Kings 16, let's pick it up in, in verse 5. Uh, here, here's some compromise. Verse 5 says this, Then Rezin, king of Syria. So Syria has as its capital Damascus. We know from 2 Chronicles 28, which we just saw, that Syria, Rezin, their king, forms a confederacy with Israel to the north. Uh, and so, Sure enough, we're seeing that here in verse 5. Then Rezin, king of Syria... Uh, and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, so sure enough, same, same guys, came up to Jerusalem to war. Zach, isn't it down from the north? Wouldn't Jerusalem be down from the north? I'm looking at a map, it's down, right? But why do you go, always go up to Jerusalem? It's the elevation, thank you. We haven't, we haven't covered that in a while, right? Uh, came up to Jerusalem to war, and they besieged Ahaz, verse 5. It's interesting, but could not overcome him. Now, they, Mike, they had a pretty good degree of victory. They carried off uh, large numbers of people of Judah, um, but they, they, they could not effect a total defeat of the land. Evidently, the Lord did not allow that. They had, uh, they had a, a lot of success, but they, they could not strike a device, uh, uh, what's the word I'm trying to say? Uh, um, they, they could not really just complete that uh, uh, effort to gain control of, of all the land of Judah. They could not overcome him. Verse 6, at that time, uh, Rezin, king of Syria, recovered Elath, which is sometimes called Elate. Uh, this is a city on the Red Sea. Uh, evidently, this, this is land that Syria had claimed previously. Uh, Rezin reclaims that to Syria, verse 6 says, uh, and, dra and, and drave or drove out the Jews uh, from Eloth. Uh, by the way, just interesting point, this is the first time in Scripture that the word Jews is used. This is the very first place where, the, where that word is used, uh, from Eloth. Uh, and the Syrians came to Eloth and dwelt there uh, unto this day. Uh, so Ahaz has problem. He's been, he's been, he's been attacked um, by this powerful confederacy uh, of Syria and Israel to the north. Uh, they, they've not had a, a decisive, that's the word I was trying to get before, uh, victory, but, but they've, they've affected some damage and, uh, and they've taken some prisoners, a, a large number of prisoners, it would seem. Now, if you're Ahaz, king of Judah uh, in Jerusalem, what in the world should you be doing at this point, Rich? Uh, you, you've been attacked. Numbers of your people have been carried off uh, as the spoils of war. What in the world should you be doing at this point? 
yeah, praying, praying. And, and you know, I, I know, looking from our perspective through the Bible and through the lens of all of Scripture, looking back from our comfortable, safe vantage point here, Brother Ray, it's very easy for us to be very critical, right? But with all of that said, you could see that this is a man who should have been crying out to the Lord. Uh, Lord, uh, I repent of, I, I know this is sin, all, all of this idolatry, I know it's sin, and I, I, just, I have to see and I have to confess that uh, you've no doubt you've allowed us to be attacked uh, by, by you know, two enemies effectively and so many people carried off. God, I, I see that as your correction and I repent and Lord, would you uh, forgive me and forgive us and restore these people uh, back to the land. That, that obviously is, is what should have happened. Uh, what did he do? By the way, you may be thinking, this is sounding kind of familiar, Pastor. Um, sounding kind of familiar, um, and it should be if you've been in Sunday school uh, over the past year or so, um, passages, portions of Isaiah refer back to this time, uh, Isaiah 6 and definitely 7, um, 7 for sure, uh, are parallel to this time, and that's why this is going to be sounding a little bit familiar. Uh, we're not going to look at those, those passages tonight. I was jumping around too much, but that's, that's why this would be sounding somewhat familiar. Um, Ahaz obviously should have been crying out to the Lord, Mike. Uh, but, you know, I, I look at this and I say he, he didn't, and I understand we don't always, we always get it when we should either, right? We, you know, you, you look back, no, no doubt, on certain times in your life and say, you know, I, I really I look back at that difficulty and I can recognize now that it was the chastening hand of God and I either didn't recognize that or more likely didn't want to recognize that, therefore didn't repent right away. But now you can look back, you know, with the benefit of a, perhaps a little greater spiritual maturity and say, yeah, I, I knew. I should have just repented and, and, and got, got down on my knees, but I, I resisted that temptation. Uh, if, if you know you're being chastened and um, you refuse, you refuse to repent and get right with the Lord, how, Zach, how would you characterize that? That'd be what? Foolish. That, that's the kindest word we'd come up with, right? Some might say, that'd be stupid, right? That'd just be, that'd just be incredibly uh, ignorant. Probably, that's probably not the right word. Foolish is, is a much better word. Yeah, that'd be foolish. We can look back here and, and see this, this is a foolish response that, that this king responds with because rather than crying out to the Lord, uh, he cries out to the king, not of Syria, but Assyria. Remember, they're not the same, right? Syria and Assyria, uh, they're, they're not the same. One has A, one doesn't. So, okay, that'll help us remember that. Um, Verse 7, Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am thy servant. He basically offers himself and, and Judah uh, as a sort of vassal state to be subservient uh, to uh, Assyria, uh, the, the, the emerging world power of the day. I am thy servant. Uh, I am thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel, uh, which rise up against me. And Ahaz took silver uh, and gold that was found in the house of the Lord 
could be um, from the treasury there, but later on we're gonna see that uh, he actually took some of the, um, the items that the Lord prescribed to be in the temple and, and took them and, and probably melt them down, repurposed them uh, for different reasons. But he, he took from the temple uh, to pay uh, a bribe to the king of Assyria, also took from his own house, verse 8 says, sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. He said, listen, I, I need your protection. I'm, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to pay you for that. I'm, I'm willing to present myself and, and Judah to you uh, to be sort of you know, your subservient uh, land and, you, and your people. Uh, Rich, this is exactly what he should have been doing to the Lord. He should have been coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm your servant. Uh, I'm, I'm your son. Uh, Lord, help us. Instead, he's crying out to uh, a foreign king who, who would be more of an enemy than anything else as, uh, as, as time goes by. Brother Ray, what do you make of that? Why, why in the world is he doing that? Uh, how, how does that happen? This is the king of Judah uh, who's in Jerusalem. Uh, he's got the word of God. These are the people of God. Gary, how does this happen? He's afraid he's going to lose it all. And so he's just being what? He's, he's, being, he's being very prudent. He's being very practical. Um, sometimes we can allow what seems to be prudent and practical to influence us more than what we know is biblical, spiritually correct, biblically correct. Uh, and that, that evidence is really nothing more than a lack of what? Faith, don't you think? Someone could say, well, maybe ignorance, but this man's not ignorant. No way is, is he ignorant. He's the king of Judah. He's in uh, Jerusalem. These, these are people who have all their history, knowledge of their history, and the words of God that have been given up to this point. He's not ignorant. Um, what he has done as comprom is he's compromised along the way uh, to uh, a point that one by one finally got to a point where he's sacrificing his children to idols uh, rather than sacrificing to the Lord, possibly both, but you know, it's certainly there's false worship in the mix here. Uh, he sacrificed, he's compromised so much that he's worshiping idols rather than worshiping the Lord and calling upon really enemy kings rather than uh, calling upon the Lord. And people look at that and say, oh, that, that could never happen. Uh, nothing like that ever happened to us. We, we, there's, there's no way, Brother Ray, that you know, we could maybe choose a little compromise here, a little compromise there. We'd never end up in a place like that. There's, there's no way that we could ever end up in a place where we were that far removed from the Lord and his will and calling out to him, you know, in the, in the depths of our deepest trials. But you know what? That actually can happen, and it does happen. And, and here's a man right here who pretty obviously is, is in that place. Can that happen, church? Sure it can, and you've seen it happen. By the way, you've seen people turn away from a place like that, come back to the Lord also, right? And, and that's a good thing. Uh, Brother Art, that, that's, that gives chills, right? It gives chills when you see someone turn down that road and, and go as far, as far down the wrong road as this man did, but give chills when you see someone repent, come back also, right? It's just, wow, we get excited about that. Imagine, 
Um, what, a, what a thrill to the Lord that is. Someone gets right with him. Um, the Lord, we know, um, allowed Israel and Syria, not, not us Syria, Syria to confederate and attack Judah to correct them. Second Chronicles 28.5 says that. Says that. Um, King Ahaz should have seen that. Should have seen that arguably should have understood that and, and repented and cried out to the Lord. Uh, he did not. He, he cried out to, what's his name? Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, said, said help us. Now, um, the king of Assyria, Assyria, he does step in. Um, and at first, Mike, I think it seems like he's taken the money and agreeing to help, but what he really does is help himself more than he helps Ahaz and Judah. We'll see that here in this chapter, and then we'll glance over at Second Chronicles 28, which actually says that pretty overtly, that he, he took the money but didn't really help Judah. Um, look at verse nine uh, in, here in chapter 16. King of Assyria hearkened unto him, yeah, he heard him, no doubt took the money uh, for the king of Assyria, went up against Damascus. Damascus is the capital of where? Syria. Uh, is it still? Uh, it is. Uh, and took it. Um, by the way, we're going to pray tonight for people in Syria and in Turkey that are affected by that just incredible uh, earthquake. That, that's in God's control, but wow, we're going to pray for those people tonight. Uh, king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it. All right, well, that would be a little bit helpful to Judah because Assyria has allied with, confederated with Israel against them. But you can see more than anything, he's, he's serving himself, taking Assyria uh, for his own, carried the people of it captive to Kerr, uh, the place, and slew Rezin. Who's Rezin? He, he's the king of Syria. So uh, king of us, Syria, comes in and says, sure, take the money, go off and, and, and fight a battle against uh, us, uh, Syria, taking, uh, taking Damascus uh, and the king of Syria, Rezin. By the way, this was prophesied in Isaiah 7. Um, sure enough, it happened. Isaiah said, yeah, it's going to happen. It did happen. God said, God does, Brother Ray. Um, so yeah, there's, in a sense, there's, there's some help there, but it's, it's more like, as I've said twice now, I think him, him helping himself. Let's see this in Second Chronicles 28. So go back there, our parallel passage, quickly, please. Um, well, as fast as you can. Second Chronicles 28. And um, let's pick this up there in verse 16. And uh, we'll go down kind of quickly through verse 21. I'll, I'll just read it. So 2 Chronicles 28, beginning in verse 16, the Bible says, At that time uh, did King Ahaz send unto the kings of Assyria to help him, uh, for again the Edomites had come in and smitten Judah, carried away captives. The Philistines also had invaded. So, so again, we're seeing more details here. They, they actually had problems with a bunch of folks. <laughs> Uh, there, there's Syria, but, but they had problems with, with a lot of different uh, peoples. The Philistines, verse 18, also uh, had invaded the cities of the low country, uh, the south of Judah, uh, that says that, the south of Judah, and had taken Beth Shemeth and Ajalon and Gedaroth, 
uh, in Shoko with the villages thereof and Timnah with the villages thereof, uh, the suburbs, right? And Gimzmo also and the villages thereof and, and they dwelt there, took them and, and made them their own. Uh, for the Lord, verse 19, brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel. Uh, so again, there's a second testimony in, in that chapter to the fact that this is God actively working in history uh, to correct his people. It's not random. Uh, it's God's hand actively working uh, in history to effect correction. Uh, again, verse 19, Lord brought low Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, uh, for he made Judah naked and transgressed sore against the Lord. So this is a picture of sin. Verse 20, uh, here's our guy, uh, Tilgath, uh, Pilneser. Uh, it's, he's referenced slightly differently here. King of Assyria came unto him and distressed him, uh, but strengthened him not. Uh, for Ahaz took away a portion out of the house of the Lord, out of the house of the king, uh, and of the princes, and gave it unto the king of Assyria. What a, read the last read the last phrase of verse twenty one with me. But he helped him not. Yeah. Now, <laughs> brother, is it compromise to to be practical and prudent and reach out to this foreign king rather than to the one true God? Is that, is that a compromise? That's compromise, for sure. You probably come up with other words for it, for sure. It's foolish. That's Zach's word. Uh, that's foolish. Uh, it's great compromise. I mean, great compromise. Um, did he get what he wanted in his effort to be very practical and prudent? Did he get what he wanted? Maybe he, he, was, maybe he got a little bit. He got Syria off of his back, but he didn't get what he wanted. Uh, he, didn't want, he wanted to be free from enemies and the threat of enemies. What he got was, he, don't you think he helped him to strengthen Assyria? I think he did, he paid them. But money was probably used to strengthen their army against Syria, but also against Judah and Israel, ultimately. Um, he, there's, in the end, there's, there's no real help that, that has been bought here. Mike, he could have cried out to the Lord, and I have every confidence, I'm sure you do too, that if he cried out to the Lord for help, he, he would have been helped. If he cried out to the Lord with a humble, repentant heart, no doubt the Lord was there with open arms saying, well, of course, uh, you know, my son, I, I, I am happy to forgive and, uh, and to restore people to the land, heal your land, and that's Bible language, right? Uh, and, and to be a true help. Well, this man looks somewhere else. Compromise looks somewhere else. Um, and um, in the end, got, got no real help. Now, uh, along the way, he, uh, he adds compromise to compromise. So picture Ahaz now. He's reached out to the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria has... Um, killed one of his enemies, which, you know, seems like a bit of help probably. Um, and the king of Assyria now has taken Damascus and, and he's there. And that's not, I mean, it's a good distance from Jerusalem, but it's a, it's a travelable, is that a word, Gary? Distance. 
Um, Ahaz is, has still got his hopes pinned on uh, a foreign king rather than the Lord. And so he goes to the foreign king. Verse 10, King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. Uh, his hopes still, fo- he's still focused on this king uh, as his ultimate helper. Uh, verse, second part of verse 10, it says, so he's in Damascus, uh, probably to pay homage uh, to this king. Middle of verse 10 here says, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And what kind of an altar, Rich, do you suppose that was in Damascus? Was it <laughs> not a good one? That's, that, that's a good answer. Uh, not a good one, not an altar where the Lord was worshipped. Certainly, it would be a, an altar, a place of pagan worship. He saw an altar that was at Damascus. Uh, and King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest back home in Jerusalem the fashion of the altar. So Andrew, I, I picture him there at, at the altar, and he's, he's got his sketchbook out, and he's, he's looking at it, making a plan, making a sketch. And he says, we've got to have one of these back at home. And Brother Ray gets his plans all right and sends him back to Jerusalem and says, get one of these, get one of these things set up in Jerusalem. That's, that's exactly what, what he did. He sent to Uriah the priest the fashion or the plan of the altar, the pattern of it, uh, according to all the workmanship thereof. He's, so he's, he's in uh, Damascus, um, evidently paying homage to an enemy king rather than crying out to the Lord. Uh, in a sense, he's made that king his God. While he's there, he becomes enamored with the worship of the false idols of Damascus and says, we, we got to have this. We, we, we got to have this uh, back home. Verse 11 Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest. Uh, made it uh, against King Ahaz, uh, came from Damascus, made it, so had it set up and ready for him when, when he got back home. So here's a question. Um, why? <laughs> why? Why did he do this? Why did he do this? Um, it, it seems, in, in one sense, unlikely that he would be valuing the, the, the idols, uh, the pagan gods of, of Damascus, given that uh, Damascus has been defeated by the Assyrians. On the other hand, he might be looking at Damascus and saying, well, maybe their gods gave them strength to attack us, because they did, and they, they carried people of Judah off. Uh, maybe he said, well, you know, they, they've had a little stumble here, but they were able to attack us and uh, really gave us a good, you know, good solid punch. Uh, maybe there's some pot. What, what do you think? Well, why, why, Zach, do you think he, he might have, do you have thoughts, why he would be so quick to want to take up the idols, worship of the idols of Damascus back home? Yeah, I, so that's that's a really good thought. So he's not he's he's broken any pattern that he might have ever had of of crying out to the Lord, right? If he ever had a habit of doing that, maybe he didn't. But what he's done now is he's 
He's established a habit of, of really looking everywhere but to the Lord. We know he sacrificed his own son or children to uh, Moloch. Um, we know he, rather than worshiping the Lord, we know he's cried out to the king of Assyria rather than crying out to the Lord in the face of the chastening hand of God. Um, seems like he's just kind of continuing down the road that he's been on, right? And that's, that's, to him, maybe feels like the easiest thing. Now, it, I, I think it's possible that he, he genuinely thought there, these, there's some power here in, in these pagan gods of Damascus. Um, and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm worshiping Moloch. I'm, I'm sacrificing, you know, there's, there's, maybe, there's, maybe we get some more power. We can kind of just keep adding gods to our worship mix and Hopefully along the way here, we'll, we'll get the right thing going, the right, the right mix, the right uh, gods in the mix, and everything will be okay. We'll just keep trying stuff, and, and hopefully in the end, everything will be okay. Um, I think also there's, um, there's some suggestion that um, he's trying to impress um, the king of Assyria. Uh, look at verse 18. Verse 17 talks about him going in, back into the, the temple and taking from the temple. Doesn't say exactly why, but perhaps to give to the king of Assyria more. He's, Mike, he's kind of established the idea that he's a, a vassal state of Assyria now, and the king of Assyria probably wants more, so he's going back to the temple, get more. But then verse 18 says this, the covert for the Sabbath that they had built in the house, so that's the temple. Verse 17 establishes this is the temple. Evidently, they had like a covered entryway to the temple um, and the king's entry without. So they had, king would go to the temple, they had a, a, a covered entryway that maybe would protect him from the sun, from the elements um, that the, the king at Jerusalem would use when, when he went to the temple. Um, in verse 18, they, the Bible says they, that he turned he from the house uh, of the Lord for the king of Assyria. If I understand that, that correctly, the, the idea is that he, he reoriented this sort of covered entryway uh, to the temple to the direction that he would expect the king of Assyria to come from uh, were he to visit Jerusalem as Ahaz has gone to Damascus to visit the king of Assyria there, probably expects that he'll make a visit to Jerusalem at some point, maybe to collect his dues, um, and that he would go to the temple. So it, it looks like this is an act of deference, submission uh, to the king of Assyria. He's turned this, this covered entryway to the direction that he's expecting that, that king uh, to come from. Uh, and so, Zach, it seems plausible that if he's anticipating this and, and wanting to demonstrate deference to that king, that um, perhaps one of the reasons he's brought the idols from Damascus is that he's, he's just trying to curry favor with that king, right? Um, hey, man, I'm taking up your gods, your, your, your worship. Um, uh, we're, we're your people. Yeah, I know there's a history of this worship of Jehovah, but we, we got your gods in the mix now. And, and he put, the, he, he put the, the idol that he had um, uh, Uriah the priest to make 
uh, right there so that it, it would be seen. We, we skipped over that. Um, but if you look at verse 14, he brought all, he basically shifted things around the temple to make room for this new um, idol and, and placed it uh, in the temple so that it would be seen when, when you first came into the temple. So um, I, I skipped over reading those verses, but that's, that's kind of a quick summary. When the king of Syria came, he would be welcomed by this uh, very, very welcoming, covered uh, pathway uh, that would, would greet him and, and lead him into the temple at Jerusalem. And Brother Ray, as he entered into that place, uh, he would see a place of worship of, of his gods rather than the Lord. This is, uh, seems to me, a political compromise that has led to a far greater compromise, a spiritual compromise. Uh, and so, you know, again, you see um, a compromise that, that might seem practical or prudent or even feel needful uh, paved the way for, for this king to take up many uh, additional and, and worse, more sinful compromises um, along the way. He's looking to an, a man rather than to the Lord and, and so desiring the favor of and the help of that man that he'll take up the worship of that man's false gods and place an altar to that man's false gods into the temple which has been prescribed for the worship of the Lord alone. Uh, Mike, that's, that's wickedness, almost beyond what we could fathom. But one step in the wrong direction, as Zach said, makes the next step in the wrong direction easier. And when you've taken two steps in the wrong direction, the third step is even easier, and the fourth step, and the fifth step. Listen, if, um, if, if you're marching down the wrong road, what is it, what is it that makes it so hard to turn around and, and come back? Uh, guys, when, when we're lost, we know we're going down the wrong road. I got lost this week, but I didn't know it. Right? I didn't know it. I told some of you that story. I didn't know I was lost, but I was. When you know you're lost and you, and you should turn around, sometimes we, we don't want to do that. Why? Why? Pride. Pride. <laughs> sure. Uh, if, if you're going to turn around and come back, you're, you're going to have to humbly, hum, humility is the opposite of pride, right? You're going to have to humbly admit you were wrong. <laughs> you were wrong. I made a wrong choice. I set off on the wrong path. Um, I let a machine lead me to <laughs> the wrong destination. <laughs> I don't know if we, we, I don't think we prayed before we headed out this week. He didn't pray either. Uh, yeah, you, you'll have to be willing to, to, to repent, to turn off of the wrong road. Is, is going to have to, it's going to necessarily require setting aside your pride and humbly admitting that you were wrong. This man was way down the wrong road. It was going to take a extremely profound, profoundly humble admission of guilt and error and, and sin uh, for him to, to come about face and, and come back. Listen, here's the other thing. He's in so deep with the king of Assyria now, he probably felt like he couldn't untangle himself from that mess, right? He, he's presented himself in, in Judah to the king of Assyria. Here, here take us, we're, we're yours. And here's some money to kind of seal the deal. You come back down to the temple, we'll give you some more. Uh, he's he's going to have to be humble, but 
just practically, he's dug himself so deep in here that um, it, he probably almost couldn't see a way out of that, practically speaking. Zach, what's the answer to that? What's the answer to a situation like that? You dug yourself so far in to the wrong, the, down the wrong road that you feel like you just can't get out. You dug yourself so deep into a hole, you feel like there's no way to climb. What can you do? You can repent and cry out to the Lord, right? Uh, you cry out to the Lord from a hole of any depth, right? And, and he's going to hear you, right? Um, you know, I, our, I'm, I'm sure this, this man came to a point where, I mean, shortly, you, you see, he just dies and, and he succeeded, succeeded. But um, I rather suspect that he, he I, I can't necessarily see it, but I rather suspect that at some point he, he just knew. Right? There's the conviction. I have, I have dug myself so far deep into the wrong way. I'm so far down the wrong road. I've, I've, I'll mix my metaphors. I've, 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 I've dug myself into a hole so deep there's, there's no way out. He must have known. He must have known. And, and so the temptation is to say, is just to give in, right? You just, well, you know, uh, here's another metaphor. I've made my bed. All I can do is, is, is lie in it now. Um, well, as we know, there can be long-term consequences to sin. But is there ever a place where you can't cry out to the Lord? Is there any place where you could find yourself as a believer where you could never, you say, you know what, I've come to a place where I just can't cry out to the Lord. I'm too far from where he would have me to be, and he just won't hear me. Um, I... Brother Garcia, do you have a thought? We feel that way sometimes, right? I pray, I pray that too. And we do well to pray that, Lord, help me just stay close to you. Help me to be in your will. Help me never get to a place where I feel like I've, I've gone so far afield from where you would have me to be that I just cannot cry out to you. Lord, Lord guard me from that place. Right, we get up, we put on Christ each day. Pray, Lord, help me to be in Your will. Help, help me to be yielded to You. Uh, but listen, I I would submit to you tonight that um, if you ever do find yourself in a place where you feel like you've done so much wrong that you can't cry out to the Lord, that's that's a false feeling, brother Mike. All of my sins are covered by the blood of Christ. All of them. And, and no matter how far I may dig myself into a hole or, or down the wrong road or whatever metaphor we choose, um, my sins are covered by the blood of my Savior. And so I can cry out to him and, and humbly repent and confess my sin and, and, and seek his grace uh, to turn away from what was so very wrong and, and to repent, to come about face uh, to, to forsake the wrong place and get back to the right place, not in my strength, because, you know, if I'm an eight-foot deep hole, I'm probably not going to be able to dig myself out. But the Lord can. The Lord can. And um, we do well, as Brother Garcia said, pray, Lord, don't let me get there, please. Keep me close to you. Help me to stay yielded to you. But, Lord, don't ever let me think that I've arrived in such a bad place that there's no hope. Blood of Christ covers all sin. Brother Art, no matter what, no matter what, give me, give me a heart, Lord, to cry out humbly, 
That's the thing, <laughs> humbly. I'm gonna have to be willing to humble myself and confess my fault and we'll cry out to the Lord for that place. Uh, Lord, help me to be humble. Lord, help me if I find myself in that place to be humble, to admit I was wrong and to cry out to you knowing that no matter what, my sins are covered, I can cry out to you no matter where I am. Um, you think, Brother Art, the, the devil just loves to lead people to a place that is so bad that they feel like they can't cry out to the Lord again, and so they just don't. Amen. Loved us so much, he sent his only begotten son, died on that cross, shed his blood to cover all of my sins, no matter what. Lord, help us keep that in mind. Father, we do love you tonight. Thank you, uh, Lord, so very much. That um, you're there for us no matter what. No matter what, no matter the depth of our sin, no matter how far afield we are from where you would have us to be, Lord, you're ready, able, and willing to meet us where we are. Father, we've seen that truth in our own church. Of course, we see that in your word as well. Lord, I know a man can get to that place or he might feel that way. There's no hope for me. One bad step at a time. One little compromise at a time. Lord, I pray tonight you give us hearts to stay yielded to you, stay obedient to you. We can. We're dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you. Give us hearts to cling firmly to truth and to refuse in your strength to compromise any of it. Lord, give us hearts to do that for you, according to your will. Lord, if we fail and we find ourselves having compromised and compromised and compromised ourselves into a very dark place, I pray that we never forget you're there with us ready, able, and willing to hear our prayer, ready, able, and willing to strengthen us to repent, to forsake the sin, to put it off, and to put on obedience in its place, Lord, to guide us right back to where we should be. Lord, of course, that's the choice that Ahaz should have, should have made. Evidently, he did not, but I know he could have. And I know certainly tonight that we can too. Lord, I thank you tonight for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for that cross that covers our sins, the blood of our Savior. Lord, let us never that allow that truth to be an excuse, but let us never forget that truth either. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Zach, you come, please. All right, let's uh, stand as we turn to number 124. We'll sing, Kneel at the Cross, 
John 6, 37 says, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. We'll sing all three verses of 124, Kneel at the Cross. Kneel at the cross, Christ will meet you there. Come while he waits for you. Listen to his voice, leave him with your care, and begin life anew. Kneel at the cross, leave every care. Kneel at the cross, Jesus will meet you at the cross there is room for all who would his glory share bliss there awaits harm can ne'er befall those who are anchored there kneel at the cross leave every care kneel at the cross Jesus will meet you there and the last Kneel at the cross, give your idols up, look unto realms above. Turn not away to the sparkling cup, trust only in his love. Kneel at the cross, have every care. Kneel at the cross, Jesus will meet you there. 